Hey guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back, or should I say, welcome to No Limits, the Scott Harvath podcast. Oh, well, that's that's a little different there, Mike. There it is. I like the sound of it. After 100 plus episodes of Mitch Rap Pod for season one, we are the Scott Harvath podcast. Yes. I'm excited for this season, man. Like uh, reading this book, talking about these these stories with you, getting into a new author. You know, we've talked about a couple of different books and obviously we've had other authors on, but just to, to do like a real deep dive again into, you know, something completely new and something that, you know, we, I mean, we've never discussed this whole series really, the two of us, uh, like we had with, you know, the Mitch Rapp series. So th- this just should be a fun, uh, fun adventure for us. Yeah, you're right. It will definitely be a bit different, I think, because you are more of a connoisseur of Brad Thor than I am. So we might have a different dynamic where we both knew and spoke about Mitch Rapp and Vince Flynn previously. I feel like we're we're coming at this one from a slightly different angle. I'll almost be reading it as a new reader. I mean, I've read most of the books so long ago, I don't remember a lot of them. Lions is probably the one I remember the clearest. So in my mind, I'm like, which characters stick around? Who are the main characters? How long is Rutledge the president? Like a lot of those kinds of questions. How how long is is Claudia in the scene? Is she is she a piece with with Scott for a while? Like a lot of things for me are quite fuzzy. So I'm coming into this with a slightly different approach. Yeah, we'll find out. I I haven't. So. I've read all the Brad Thor ones a couple times, except for I haven't read his latest one, mainly because we've just been so busy with, with the Mitch Rapp pod and diving in and then obviously life. But uh, yeah, get, digging back into this, I just remembering some of these names like uh, Skip Trawick and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure like some of these characters, you know, they're, they're definitely going to come back up again. And obviously we, we get, we, we meet Scott for the first time and it's, I feel like it's very different than how we met Mitch for the first time. And I, I don't want to do like a, you know, a ton of comparisons between between the two. They're 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 their own series, but just like right off the bat, I just noticed how different it was the introduction we got to this character, this main character that's going to be the main driver in this series. A hundred percent. I too, I don't want to do too many. How does this compare to one of Vince's first books, or how does Scott compare to Mitch? But there's definitely moments I do want to bring it up, so please just catch me. Feel free to call me out if I'm I'm referencing Vince Flynn far too often. That's something I do in my life all the time far too often. So if I start doing that in the pod, just be like, bro, Scott Harvath time, not Mitch Rapp time. You know, we'll try to separate the two. But I, I think it's going to come up, though, where we have to draw some comparisons to these two series because these are the Titans. Mitch yeah, Rapp, Scott sure. Harvath, like this is it. These are the big heavy hitters. Each have, uh, you know, 21, 22 books, right? So. Right. Well, let's back up. I mean, we're so quick to jump into the series. We love talking about these books, these characters. But if you are just joining us, welcome to the No Limits Thriller Podcast crew. We have over 100 episodes covering all the Mitch Rapp series, the entire series, start to finish. We've got hours of content. I haven't totaled up how many hours you and I have 
sat in front of you know these computer screens and talked about the books. But head on over there if you do want to read the Mitrap series. Got lots for you to jump into. And if you've been with us, thanks for sticking with us for season two. You're going to see much of the same format. We're going to do things a little differently, particularly our final ratings. You'll hear about our No Limits Thriller Pod scorecard, how we'll rank the books at the end. But thanks for being along for the ride, new and old, first-timers and veterans. We're glad to have you. Yeah, and you you can check out our new website, which was launched a couple weeks ago, thrillerpod.com. On there, it has you know links to the gear, if you want to sign up to become a patron, as well as links to follow all of our feeds, including our, our newest feed that we haven't quite launched yet, but we, we look to launch that, which will be a, a No Limits book club. So we're excited to be bringing you these two new feeds about Scott Harvath and just books in general. So yeah, it's it's a it's a new world with the with the Mitch Rap or, or the sorry the No Limits Boys. So the No Limits Boys, and something we like to do for our No Limits patrons is a giveaway. So in case you're unfamiliar with that, check out ThrillerPod.com, click on Learn About Our Patreon, and we'll have monthly giveaways. In fact, Chris, let me tell you, I have been collecting some Brad Thor signed books. Ooh. And yep. We're gonna have to give away one for April. And actually I'll do I'll do you one better. How about two giveaways this month? Two signed Brad Thor books. One will put all our patrons in a raffle, and the other giveaway will be our first new Scott Harvath patron. The first patron. There we go. To join us. After this episode is released in April, we'll get their choice of Spymaster, Act of War, The Apostle, Code of Conduct, Hidden Order, The Last Patriot, The First Commandment, Full Black, Foreign Influence, or The Athena Project. So, we got two giveaways this month, one of those books signed by Brad Thor for an existing patron and one for a brand new Scott Harvath, our first patron for season two. Awesome. All right. Well, today's the day. So, Chris, give us the rundown. What are we covering? What are we getting into on episode one? All right. So today we are covering the first book in the Scott Harvath series, Lions of Lucerne by Brad Thor, which came out in 2002. Before I get into the summary, uh, Mike, can you just give me a little bit of a backstory about like how you first got into you kind of mentioned it a little bit but how did you get into your reading your first Brad Thor novel I was trying to think of it I don't have a really clear-cut memory I I do remember my first book of thrillers in this genre was Memorial Day with Vince Flynn I talked about that episode one of season one all right and I remember shortly after that, I think Brad Taylor might have been one of my other ones, or even it could have been uh, Dale Brown. Dale Brown does, I think, with the jets right. and, the, and the planes. Yeah, I right. think it was one of his. I got to say, I think I stumbled on Brad Thor a little bit later, and I I don't know what my first one was. It might have been Lion's. Yeah, I, I don't have clear memories of uh, of this series. What about you? Do you, do you have a, a moment you remember meeting Scott? Yeah, so I read, you know, in that same bag that Tom gave me, he gave me both 
Mitch Rapp and Brad Thorbucks, or, you know, Vince Flynn and Brad Thorbucks. And I picked up Lions first, actually. Um, so out of that bag, I read Lions of Lucerne first, loved it. Then I switched to reading uh, Transfer of Power, and I, I got hooked with that series. And then I stopped reading for a while. And then my first year of grad school, I really got back into reading heavily. And it was, I could get the Brad Thor books, like one after one after one on my Kindle, mm-hmm. on like uh, the using the Libby app or the Overdrive. So I, I powered through those. And then I, then I re-listened to them uh, with, with the Audible app uh, when I was, you know, working in the lab. And then I went, that's when I went back and listened to the rest of the Mitch Rapp series. So I, I only read like Transfer Power and Lions of, Lions of Lucerne. And then I came to Brad, back to Brad Thorth first. And so that's, that's mm-hmm. all I remember. And I remember at this time I was going through a big Dan Brown phase and I'm going to like, I'll talk about this a little bit later, but I feel like I lo- I gravitated a little bit. I love like, I mean, people can probably, you know, shit on my take about Dan Brown, but I, I really like those books. I don't know. I like, I like, like national treasure. I like just, you know, going into history and learning different things. And I feel like that's something that Brad brings to the story that's different than many of the other books in this genre that, that I that I've read. And so I that's what gravitated gravitated me towards these novels. And you know, we're gonna we're gonna talk a lot about geography and history, everything that's placed throughout in the story, you know, coming up. So yeah, that's that's my backstory into Brad Thor. Nice. Nice. I remember the Dan Brown days, Da Vinci Code and all of those. I was into them. Really, really into them for a while. Yeah, the latest one I didn't love too much, but, you know, Da Vinci Code, Angels, uh, Angels and Demons, those are all really good. Angels and Demons, yes. I remember when I lived in Rome and did the study abroad, I was like, oh my God, it's the fountain from that book. And right. yeah, the geography of that one was was stunning. All right, let me, uh, let me jump into the summary. So for this one, we got an Amazon jacket summary. On the snow-covered slopes of Utah, the President of the United States has been kidnapped and his Secret Service detail massacred. Only one agent has survived, ex-Navy SEAL Scott Harbath. He doesn't buy the official line that Middle Eastern terrorists are behind the attack and begins his own campaign to find out the truth and exact revenge. But now, framed for murder by a sinister cabal, Harvath takes his fight to the towering mountains of Switzerland and joins forces with the beautiful Claudia Mueller, Mueller of the Swiss Federal's Attorney's Office. Together, they must brave the sub-zero temperatures and sheer heights of the treacherous Mount Pilatus, where their only chance for survival lies inside the den of one of the most lethal teams of professional killers the world has ever known. Boom. It's pretty solid. Book has a uh, 4.06 on Goodreads and a 4.4 on Amazon. I saw that. I feel like that 4.06. I thought it was a little low on Goodreads. I kind of yeah. disappointed on that. I went in there and gave it a smash to five, so hope it bring that up. Yeah, I, I was caught off guard because all the Mitch Rapp books were pretty much the exact same. 4.2, 4.28, 4.3. I was shocked to see 4.0 for, I mean, not to spoil our ratings at the end, but one of my favorite thrillers. <laughs> yeah. Quite yeah. possibly, you know, first book out the gates, possibly best in this entire series. I was shocked to see that score. Yeah, and I think when I was doing my, you know, some half-assed internet research, Barnes & Noble at one point had it on 
a list of top 10 political thrillers of all time, you know? So, I mean, which I think it rightly deserves a place on that list. This this is a great book. Uh, Scores way too low, way too low. We should do some digging. I bet there's a common thread, whether it was intentional by a certain group or affiliation. Right. Like, just slam the reviews on this one thing. Like, I was actually caught off guard. There were a couple of slurs thrown in, you know, particularly with the, the plot to blame everything on the Middle Eastern terrorists. And I thought Brad's language might have been a little strong in that regard. This could just be me and, and my my lens that I'm, I'm looking at this through. But I mean, referring to it as Sandland and Scott says, you know, I hate these damn Middle Easterners at one point and like, all right, for the genre, that's maybe par for the course. But and maybe what was this? 2002, the book was released. So maybe, yeah, you know, there were wounds. <laughs> there were wounds that year, uh, plenty of them. So I can't blame Brad for for the harsh language there, but it just seemed a little indelicate. So I, I'm curious. I don't know. I'm wondering if something like that is is part of a coordinated effort to uh, to lower these scores. Who knows? I could be making it up. Yeah, no, it's 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 interesting to see, and I definitely think that we we mentioned this before, but I think Brad puts whether or not he believes this or not, but I feel like he, he at least puts into the character of Scott these very strong ideas yeah. that I, I don't recall, you know, having just the only other story I have this to relate to is is Mitch. I, I, Mitch had had strong interpretations, but th- like Vince didn't didn't put that in there like that. It's just, yeah. it's, it's the little nuances there that, that are different, but you know, that's Brad's choice and hey, that's, that's how he wrote the character. I think, yeah, that that's the character he created. And also I think he's trying to capture the attitudes of people who were in these shoes in a post 9-11 world, right? Like, yeah, yeah exactly. Sure. I'm sure these names and monikers were th- thrown around pretty loosely and used pretty regularly. So it it does add an element of realism to it, I, I would assume. But uh, yeah, that's the choice. It did strike me as a bit, like I said, indelicate, but not going to take odds with it beyond that. So got it out of the way, ready to go. All right, Mike. So why don't you tell me what you thought about the book? Well, you know what I like to do. And to some of our first time listeners joining us on the Scott Harvath podcast, our veterans could tell you what I like to do is share my thoughts on a book in the form of a limerick. There once was a man named Scott Harvath. From SEAL teams to Secret Service was his path. Gerhard Miner and his grunts, oh, these lions he will hunt. Across Switzerland, Norseman leaves a bloodbath. Wow, Mike, you're you're coming out the gate strong. That is a good one. Dude, I'm here to play. It's you game time. here to play, man. It's season two. I had to be ready. I had to come out swinging. And guys, there's the first limerick of season two. I'm here for it. <laughs> you know who else comes out swinging right out the gates? I appreciated this epigraph. Pretty cool opening quote. Very cool. Very cool. Fortune favors the brave. Fortune favors the brave. And in Latin, fortis fortuna agivat. I like it. I'm here for it. And it definitely is a theme. Isn't that now like a car slogan or uh, 
some sort of sales. I feel like no. Oh, it's crypto.com. Crypto.com. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> Fortune favors early investors, early adopters. I I I remember on um the Super Bowl they had like Matt Damon just walking through like this hall of like you know Columbus and like the first man on the moon and then he turns to earth and he says fortune favors the brave and then it just pulls up crypto.com that's funny couple movies too yeah that that's definitely a well-known uh i wonder who first said it was it scipio or i think it was roman who knows not our area of expertise here but (laughs) no all right what do you think because we're gonna get to winners at the very end and again, don't want to spoil too much about our final thoughts, but damn, a winner of this book is the opening skiing scene. Insanely well done. Right off the bat, you're just gripped. You know, once you get past, like, I think like we first meet up with some political players, right? You know, we, we don't quite know who they are in backroom deals, uh, right. setting the stage for this, you know, mysterious plot. But then it boom, as soon as we go over to Utah and we meet up with Scott, we get introduced to him, we get uh, you know, the president, the president's daughter, and then bam, we get we get right into the kidnapping. And then immediately right after the kidnapping, we get the whole avalanche scene and, and Scott oh. gotta get out. I get, I get like, you know, Everest vibes here. Like it's Dude. just it, it's it's freaking crazy. Like I would I would love to see this on the T V screen, you know, or, or in the movie, you know, the movie theater. Yeah, and just the Secret Service, how they're set up, how the details are arranged for the president, codename Hattrick. Yeah, I like that. And Goldilocks, his daughter. Hattrick has a good uh, reason. He was VP, I think, twice. And then when he became president, that was his third term in the White House and didn't decide to return. Oh, no, it was his wife. Or was it something with his wife? I forget what that was. But he he wasn't going like, to return because his wife died. So he, he's that, only oh, going to be there three times. Yeah, She died and he was going to leave. So that would be his third term in the White House, in the executive branch. Yep, exactly, exactly. Yeah, like that, his daughter skiing. You know, Scott's with his daughter. I love the playfulness of their relationship. It's unfortunate because you know how they're going back and forth and how she looks up to him, even has a crush on him. Yeah, pretty cool way to introduce us to Scott, this U.S. freestyle skier, you know, right? Ski champion, didn't even go to college right away after high school, but joined the the U.S. team. He was favored to win in the Olympics until he also lost his father, and because of that, really dropped off the team, ended up going back to college, and realized to do something more with his life instead of just grieve over his lost career, his lost father, he joined SEAL Team 2. And gets trained as one of the polar seals. So like he's skiing and now we're learning. He has cold weather training. That's going to definitely help him with his job and the detail protecting the president and his daughter. It's like, right. you you know, this guy, he's got the chops and is in the perfect place to do something totally badass. Right. I, I liked, you know, I feel like too many people would pick their character to be an ex-seal and, and just immediately they would only be part of dev crew you know part of seals team six because that's like the badass thing to do which scott eventually was part of dev crew right but the fact that his main time with the seals was with the polar seals and seal teams two right. 
gives them this extra layer of, of you know, like I had no idea there was a SEAL team. I mean, obviously I knew there was a SEAL team too. If there's a six, there's got to be a two, right? But I didn't know that the two was a special specialized unit, you know? And obviously he needs to have that knowledge because where this book and the plot like takes him, you know, or why he even gets picked to be the, the advanced, you know, to be in charge of the advanced team for the president is because of his knowledge. Right. So I liked, I like the choices there, like that, uh, sort of build out Scott's character and backstory much better than, you know, other novelists that we would, we would get. So true. And another part that gets built out is his call sign. And when we hear about that, we get a little description. So being the first time the world has met Scott Harvath, here's what Brad gives us. And I quote, Norseman was the call sign Scott had picked up in the seals, which had remained with him ever since. At five feet 10 and a muscular 160 pounds with brown hair and ice blue eyes, the handsome Scott Harvath looked more German than Scandinavian. In fact, the call sign didn't derive from his looks, but rather from a string of Scandinavian flight attendants he had dated in the SEALs. That's awesome. I'm digging it. I'm digging it. <laughs> the Nor- Norseman is such a such a iconic, awesome call sign. And that that backstory, we get it just right away. It's 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 great. Sometimes I, you know, Scott and Scott Norseman, you think like flowing blonde hair and all this. It's it's a little tough for me to break that stereotype. I got to remember he doesn't look Scandinavian. Norseman has to do with, you know, some of his female friends while he was in the seals. So, yeah, he's 5 foot 10, not even that tall, kind of like a Mitch, you know, not the tallest in the group is not going to stand out like a sore thumb. 160 pounds. Not bad. It's not like he's, you know, 210, 220, you know, built like a linebacker. Not all that big of a guy, right? You get in that sense? Yeah. Uh, but uh, obviously we learn his workout regimen and, and you know, oh, yeah. how he keeps his body in shape. So I, I imagine he's just like a very athletic dude. And obviously he has to be with, uh, I imagine a skier's body, you know, like someone who has muscles, but, but is skinny. So it, it fits the bill. Yeah. I can only imagine his, his legs and torso are just like right rock freaking solid right yeah no for sure yeah anything else about the ski scene that you really liked i i think it's also when we're meeting the villains and so gerhard minor and seeing who he is and what he set up and it even talks about his background where he was in swiss intelligence and he was brought in on this mission called the fog he was brought in to do you remember we talked in season one with Matt DeVoe, who was brought right. into the CIA to do red teaming, like find all of our flaws and our faults, you know, tell us what you would do as a hacker and we'll we'll hire you and, and get you to do that for us. Miner was brought in to expose vulnerabilities in the Swiss intelligence system to essentially hack them and write reports of how they could be attacked. And because of that, he was given nearly unlimited access, and now he has his whole career high up in Swiss intelligence. So we're getting the sense it's it's an inside job. You know, there's there's somebody who's connected, who's got the resources. And just a chapter earlier, we met Donald Fawcett, 
this tycoon millionaire who has complete control over a couple of senators on the Hill, lots of sway in Washington, all the lobbying influence he needs to keep his fossil fuel fortune, you know, going. And to, um, well, it's the whole plot of this book, and to get these senators in his pocket to put an end to the president's clean energy bill. So let me ask you, what's your take on that? How did you feel that there's this lobbyist, fossil fuel tycoon, in bed with some senators trying to quash a fossil fuel bill? Is that particularly exciting to you? So when when you think about it, right? I honestly kind of forgot why Donald Fawcett wanted to kidnap the president. You know, as I'm reading right. the entire book, it just right. it just it went away. And then it wasn't until the very end when we got like the recap and like you know Scott's talking with Gary Lawler and like Lawler's telling him like why you know uh, this Fawcett guy would want to do this that I was like oh that that's why they. <laughs> Yeah, I forgot about that. I, I almost would have rather. It, it's kind con- spoiler alert. It's like it's one of my losers. Be, it's almost like I would have rather had, not to be negative right off the bat, but I would have rather just bought that he wanted power. Like he he wanted right to get rid of the president. He wanted to have a puppet in the office uh, with Stargazer. You know, with the vice president, who we find out later is is involved, as opposed to like this plan to keep the president. He, out of town long enough to the bill like it doesn't get passed like um yeah that's one of, one of the weaknesses of, of the plot I, I'd have to say yeah. you know if we're if we're gonna pick some nits that's that's definitely a nit to pick yeah I agree I ended up forgetting who Donald Fawcett was yeah no you Be- you do because he doesn't come yeah. back until the very end he doesn't come back until the very end and one of the major cliffhangers actually the biggest cliffhanger at the end is Donald Fawcett's gone. How that was like the cliffhanger of the last chapter. Oh, right, 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 right. I, I didn't know if I care. Like, my cliffhanger is going to be, and now Scott gets to go get revenge on this guy who hasn't been around since the first few pages of the book and doesn't really have that much importance to anything that happened over the other, what, 400 pages? Yeah, no, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's It, it would have been... Or like, it would have been more believable if it was purely just a manipulation of, you know, we we want to get someone in power who we, we can control. Rutledge is someone who we, we can't control, so uh, we need to take him out. Yeah. But from the very beginning, we knew that we knew that they didn't want to kill the president, which kind of like lessens the stakes there a little bit. But it, but then like, like I said, you you kind of forget about all that. Like the, the plot is so propulsive, and it, and you, you want to like. You're, you want Scott to figure everything out that just it, it 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 takes you away from that little minor detail you know it's almost not yeah. it's not even necessary it, right it's so funny that one of the main criticisms or negatives I could have of this book ends up not even mattering because action absolutely perfect pacing absolutely perfect that you don't even remember or care about the motivations of who's behind the kidnapping because you're so, so bought in to how Scott's operating to try to figure it out. And then the details, it almost becomes a detective story. Like, oh yeah, Scott Harveth, beyond his survival skills in the avalanche, you know, saving the president's daughter. And 
damn, he MacGyvers that. He, He's oh like, my God. ripping apart the backpack to make like a brace to cradle her neck. They're surviving in like this igloo underneath the avalanche. The way he MacGyvers his way out of that is incredible. So like all these things that Scott is doing, these amazing details of how he's surviving essentially makes you not care about the larger you know, zoom out plot of there's a fossil fuel bill and some billionaire doesn't want it to pass. <laughs> Don't yeah. care. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, I love the little details, which I feel like in other novels I've gotten these details and I didn't care about them. But I cared about when Scott was like. I don't want to move her too much because that could lead to permanent damage. Like it's like little things like that, that fill up the story that I I appreciated and I enjoyed because it made me think about things, you know? Yep. And then to go from, you know, Scott's survival and then we're sort of mimicking that with the whole plot of the assassins and how, you know, they come in, they have the, and the description of all their technology, the glare guns, uh, you know, blinding everybody trying to set up this false flag, you know, operation in terms of that it's it's the Middle Easterners, uh, you know, or someone from Pal- like P- the PLO, right? Um, or, or Fata. And then how they're able to get, get away and they have this escape path and the the, the toboggan where, where yeah. they almost lose the president on the toboggan. Like that scene, it's everything you, when you're reading it, it's it's very gripping, you know, like you, you want to keep reading you, or in my case, listening. I don't know, that like, that, that was great. And then right after we, we, you know, Scott survives this traumatic event and we're not even, I don't know, a third of the way through the book, we then switch to, you know, Detective Harvath mode when, when he goes right. to, to the, the house where uh, the Mormons get killed, right? And then that leads us down this entire path, which I, I'm, I sort of mentioned it before, but it, this story, I feel like maybe, maybe Brad, it, I think it's going to be a common theme throughout all of his novels. And maybe just because he, you could tell Brad really loves geography and mm-hmm. he does his research. He likes to go visit places and, you know, I, I follow him on Instagram. He's, he was just in Lake Cuomo, like writing, like he, he, he goes, he's a globetrotter. And so he puts it in his novels cause that's, that's what he knows. That's what he does. And so he puts Scott in those same situations and, you know, we are, we're going to go everywhere. Right. And you, you, you could think that that's going to be a little bit too messy, a little bit too crowded, but I, I don't think it was that that messy. And it was not to me. And this is this is a good thing. I'm, I'm not saying this is a bad thing. The, this story was almost like Jason Bourne meets National Treasure meets Da Vinci Code. You know, like oh yeah, we we get like you know oh yeah. A, 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 what's what's the Dan Brown's main character in the Da Vinci Code? Um, Robert Langdon. Yeah, Robert, we get like Robert Langdon, but he's a fucking badass who yeah. can who could kill people, you know. Yeah. It's or Nicolas Cage can can you know actually can hold a gun and and shoot like it's awesome. Yeah, he's Scott has so many skill sets that you oh, love he's and embrace. Super intelligent. He's yeah. so intelligent, and on top of that, he's hysterical. Oh he's, yeah, I love the comedy. Love the comedy. He's so much more likable than Mitch. I hate to say that, but he is. He is. You, you can just like Scott. One moment he's a big bear, the next moment he has a badass hand-to-hand fight scene. Then he's also like this uber smart detective, almost like a Sherlock Holmes. Like he's got this air about him. 
And then he has all these connections to people. Everyone obviously loves him. How many girls does he, you know, friends, female friends, does he call up and ask for help? And every one of them is like, ooh, Scott. It's like there's so many dimensions to this guy. Yeah, but I think his backstory, like, lends to that, right? Like, all his time spent in one skiing. So, like, in all, all these places, if he's a top skier, he's would have been in Utah, would have been, you know, I'm imagining you would have went to the Alps at some point, right? And they mentioned that in the story, right? Uh, and then as a SEAL, you know, all the military contacts in both Team 2 and, you know, Team 6. And, you know, Team 6 is the one that goes in and, and does these takedowns, right? So it, when you're liaising with people in, in other countries, you're, you're going to gather all those contacts. And then finally, the, the third part of it is the Secret Service aspect of it, you know, being uh, right. on the defensive and knowing everybody in the White House and, and in politics. It's it's kind of, all right, I'm going to, you, you can you can yell at me now. It's kind of like mashing like Vince's skill, uh, Mitch's skills and, and, and Scott's skills like together, if you, if you think about it like that it, from Vince's novels. I could see that. I could see that. And I guess while we're on it, you know, you brought up Vince. There's another very clear demarcation between the two where this book starts off in three different places with three different points of view. You got Fawcett, Rolander, and Snyder, the senators, Gerhard Miner, and assembling the lions, Scott, obviously. And then you even see a little bit of Marshfield, the vice president, and how he's wrapped up in this. You almost are led to believe this is going to be very Vince Flynn-esque where these storylines stay separate. Or or other. I've seen it in a lot of other novels, yeah. Sure. It's like a, a thriller thing. And then they all come together. But I got the sense that that wasn't Brad's style. Once he got into Scott's story, three quarters of this Scott. book stayed with Scott. Exactly. And I think that's one reason I found this more gripping than some thrillers I've read lately and a lot of the Mitch Rapp books. It was almost a different way of engaging with the book in that you couldn't put it down because you felt it was your timeline. You didn't get like cut out of the story and jump to another timeline from another person's perspective. You almost felt you were in Scott's shoes and that that roller coaster didn't stop. I don't know. And then combined with that, Brad also played with the length of the chapters. We started yes. with some very long chapters. Very long chapters. I was going to say that. I almost, like, through chapter five, I was like, am I ever going to finish this book? Because there's 80-something chapters. I'm like, <laughs> I know, right? It's a long five, book, too. Six, it's a long book. It's a long book. But in the beginning, it's much more top-heavy. And I think you're setting the stage. Your first time building this universe I almost felt like sometimes I did with early Flynn. I'm going in so many storylines, I have to kind of metacognitively organize them. And when I come back to one, I have to kind of think back, oh, where is this person? What are they doing? But he quickly moved away from those really long chapters and put us in Scott's perspective for the rest of the ride. So like once the universe was built, now we're dropped into it. We're in Scott's shoes and let's go. One other really cool effect of that is when Claudia's brought back in, like 60% through the book, and you had kind of forgotten about her. I, When Claudia was dropped back in, I was like, oh my God, she's the one investigating Minor trying to play games and play right, like right. this spy, you know, sp 
spy back and forth, spy on spy with Gerhard Miner. When they're having lunch, oh my god, I love how they're one-upping each other. It almost felt like Kennedy, you know, going back and forth with someone from the ISI or uh, Ben Friedman. The way Claudia and Miner, and he was he was one-upping her, you know, he clearly had an edge and would get under her skin. But then later on, she would throw that right back at him. Anyway, it was amazing when she was brought back in and teamed up with Scott because we had been in Scott's shoes for so long. I thought the payoff was there of bringing her storyline into his. You know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that all that up because I definitely noticed that. I noticed that, one, the first couple chapters were super long. And I, too, saw in the thing, I was like, 84 chapters are all these going to be 20 minute read, you know, cause like on, I listen to them and it's like 20 minute chapters or 30 minute chapters. I'm like, geez, this is, this is a long book. And then two, while later on we did like every so often we would jump to like a different perspective, but for majority, like, you know, five chunks of five to 10 chapters in a row, we're just boom, Scott, 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 Scott. And I'm not gonna lie. I like that. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I, that's one of the, my biggest pet peeves that, like sometimes drove me nuts with some early Vincent and Kyle books and you know, that I've read and uh, even like the, I mentioned this before with Lee child, he'll switch around between one book will be written in the first person. And like the next book will be the third person. Mm-hmm. And I much prefer the first person ones as opposed to the third person ones where you're, you're trying to deal with these five people. And I guess that's how like the, you would show it like in, in a, in a movie or a TV show. Right. But, uh, I just want to stay with my main character, man. I, I, I don't take me out of the action. Uh, and, and, you know, cause sometimes it, that, that break can just like make me, you know, kill the story for me at the, at that moment. And yeah. this, this book did not disappoint. Yeah. It didn't give you that time to breathe. And Scott didn't really have time to breathe. Think no, he didn't. He's <laughs> physically so jacked up. This entire time, well, they keep bringing up the memory loss thing from the original Avalanche, which I thought the memory loss thing was a little forced to keep bringing up. He had a concussion. They they didn't say it, but he had a concussion. But yeah, they could have just said that and like, whatever. It didn't really affect the plot that every time there was new information. Oh, I was a little fuzzy on the details. Wait, it's coming back to me now. So it was that felt a little forced. But I mean, he gets shot towards the end. He's messed up from the avalanche. He goes into the ice water. He has he's having hypothermia. He like, gets stabbed in in Union Station. Right. Oh my god. He gets right. shot at on the street in waterfront too. Yeah. The shootout. Yeah. There's that shootout at the the like bank or post office or something. The bank and like Navy. The I'm imagining that was the Navy uh, Navy slash water waterfront stop. I think that's what he right. said. He got off. At. Maybe yeah, he's, he's taking cabs everywhere and then doubling back on himself. Like the dude is just going and we as the reader are right there with him. It's would you say this book is exhausting <laughs> in a good way? Just think about the places that Scott goes, right? So he starts off, he's in Utah. He takes a helicopter like all around Utah, comes back, flies back to D.C. He, we find out he lives in Old Town, right? Right. Yep. Yep. So Old Town, DC. He's running all around DC, all over, and then finally decides he needs to go over to to Switzerland. In Switzerland, at one point, he then drives to Munich to to meet up with his old buddy. Right. Then he's back in Switzerland, 
and you know he's going all over Switzerland, right? He goes to Lucerne, Bern, Grindelwald, like you know up 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 in the mountains, Interlaken, yep, he's taking Interlaken. trains, yeah. So yep. he is going everywhere. And while he's doing this, another thing I like that Brad's doing that makes the universe feel complete or bigger. All the good guys on his team, some who maybe don't end up being good guys, but we're getting a sense of the wider network of of operators, whether it's, you know, we meet at one point, all the Secret Service people, the director there, who in the end is, you know, on his side. I forget his name. Director Jameson. Right. Director Jameson. There were a couple of higher ups, mid-level managers who were not on his side, like Shaw, who Shaw, who turns on him. Oh, yeah. The FBI, Gary Lawler, who Lawler. I, I want to get into him he, in a he's, second. He's a big player. I, I remember right. him throughout the series because he's right. like a family friend, right, of his dad's. Yes. And he almost becomes a father figure, more of an uncle figure, I would say, when Scott loses his right. father. And, and Lawler basically gets him the job, he says he, he wrote him the recommendation. And so I love that barn scene. You mentioned he's going all over Utah. Well, they they get to the house where the Mormon couple, the elderly Mormon couple, were killed so that the assassins could use or the kidnappers could use the house as a base to stage the president, get him out in the ambulance. I really like when Lawler confronts Scott in the barn. It takes his character to another level of depth when Lawler's like, I covered for your ass. You blew it. You're done. I'm handcuffing you. I'm sending you back in. And you know, you know, this, this like mentor mentee relationship is going to have another layer. And then in the end, even as much as he's fucked up and he's getting framed in the eyes of the U S government, Lawler gives him that chance and says, you know, fax me the evidence. He takes his phone calls. Scott says, look, I'm going to tell you where I am. But before I tell you where I am, listen to all this evidence and Lawler accepts it, you know? He's he's not a dick about it. He trusts Scott even though the evidence and his job says he shouldn't. He should arrest him. Lawler has this kind of you know your someone you care about is on the edge of doing something really dangerous and possibly bringing you down with them. But you find it in yourself to give them tough love, but also give them the rope to, you know, you let out the rope to let them do what they need to do. Because you love them and you trust them. Yeah, and what was interesting about Lawler is when there's some line drops in the beginning where, like, you know, they're bringing in the government's top dog, right? And you you almost feel before you meet him, and obviously before you eventually know who he is, and as he gets fleshed out throughout the books, how key of a character he's going to be. You almost, at least in my mind, I thought back to like, all right, he's going to be some asshole political player that we're not, we're not going to like, you know, he, he's going to be an right. adversary, like, you know, an enemy exactly. to Scott. But then I like how Brad right off the bat exactly. in that bar scene, bar barn scene. Yes, he does chew out Scott, but we know that he cares about him. Like we, we can, we can tell that he, he's not going to, he's exactly. not going to like be uh, on Scott's bad side. He's, he's actually wants to help Scott. And, and in the end, he, he's the reason that Scott, you know, survives. Right. So. Right. Contrast that with, because I too thought we were headed that way, we still get little glimpses of a very Flynnian politics scene 
inside the White House with Chief of Staff Dafina, the Vice President's oh, yes. Chief of Staff. He reminded me of like Garrett. Garrett, yeah. I was getting Stu Garrett vibes. I really was. And I'm glad that didn't last because, you know, Vince, that was like the hallmark of the book. You're going to remember Mitch battling with the assholes on Capitol Hill. And it's like some of the more badass things he does. I'm glad Scott got his words in. And so and did everyone him. else. Yeah, they, 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 they bitched him up. But it wasn't like the whole thing. You could tell that's not as much of Brad's shtick. As it was for Vince. And so it happened. I was glad to see Scott also playing that role, standing up for himself in front of the politicos, you know, at the White House. We got just enough of it. I felt like it was it was just the taste we needed. Yeah, Scott definitely has like an authority complex, right? He he punches an FBI agent right at the scene of the crime. He he punches yep. the chief of staff. Uh, he lets his, his voice know uh, during the meeting during in the situation room. Yeah, he he. He's he's not not afraid to to let you know to say his piece, and he won't he won't be stopped. I I, I saw that I, I like that. So there, we we sort of like jumped around, but one of the things I wanted to ask you, what did you think about when Scott found out that the president was kidnapped? I found his reaction to be a little bit interesting, like underwhelming. I, I thought it yeah I thought it was a little underwhelming. Like I I I thought it would have been a little more oh shit moment. I mean, obviously, then he goes on this entire yeah. escapade. So, like, obviously, he, he cares about, you know, the president. And I, he did just go through a huge ordeal with the avalanche and everything. But, right. you know, the blame it on the concussion, I guess. I think I don't want to say it's a negative or a loser or anything. I was a little underwhelmed with the level of emotion in the characters. It was almost so over-the-top badass with some of the kills. Oh, dude, a ski to the chest? The dude rams a ski into some guy's chest and leaves him standing like a tripod on the side of the mountain. So, like, there was so much badassery. And then there was so much good humor. The one thing that took a backseat was the emotion and the emotional depth. So, like... Scott hears the president was kidnapped and most of his guys were killed. And it's not like a gut-wrenching, deep, visceral, I'm going to tear everybody's limbs off, whoever did this. There is the prayer for uh, Harper, his friend Harper, you know, his closest buddy on the Secret Service detail. You know, Scott tells him, I promise I will avenge you. I will get every last one of these fuckers. So I like that. But yeah, it just seemed like the key moments where there was a revelation that a character found out about, it didn't really hit them all that hard. Right. Yeah, no, I I would agree with that. Although, I think that happens in much more recent books. I mean, look at how deep Spymaster backlash with Scott's personal life. Like, woof. It, it, I'm recalling like some of the recent books and especially Spymaster and, and Backlash stand out to me and how different of emotional reaction we get from Scott there. And so we're definitely going to see some progression right. about how Scott as a person evolves over the course of these next 20 or so books. Right. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, that's a long-term thing we'll see play out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So we see Scott as a detective then we transition to this, you know, Scott as public enemy number one. 
and yeah. he's on the run. So uh, I guess before this, we we get a little bit of dealings with this Andre character who was, you know, the lover of, or a little confused here, the, the lover of a guy who got killed who was, was also the lover of one of the senators, right? Senator Snyder, yep. He's able to escape. He happens to run to the one person who, you know, Scott, again, has a... <laughs> has a fling with uh, or had a, I don't know if he had a fling with or like it's implied that they, they're like, you know, very close, um, who works on the Hill. So she like, was more Scott of a gets friend, brought though. in Natalie right. Sperando. So Scott gets brought in there. And then this is when we get a, another, one of those, Oh shit moments when he, did, did you get the vibes that his boss was in on it? Like, or maybe it was just cause I knew the story and I was like, Oh shit. Scott, don't do that. Like I, I remembered in the moment when he went to what, what was his immediate boss's name? I, I forget. Mm. Um, that was Shaw. Shaw, yeah, yeah. Shaw. And then so Shaw ends up being one one of the bad guys. He's in on on the plot, and so Scott's just telling him yeah. everything. I, I like that little twist there. That that was, um, you know, you could, you'd almost feel it as you're reading it. Like this, this is just everything's going to work out for these people, and no, it's it's not going to work out, and it doesn't. It yeah. It was, it kind of set you up and then it pulled the rug out from under you. It really hit me when Scott thinks he's got the Secret Service in on the ball. He wrote his report. He's got Andre and Natalie Sperando holed up in a hotel under a fake name. He told them lay low. They think Scott sent the Secret Service to pick them up. They're in the van and then. Senator Snyder turns around and he's like, oh, I am so happy to see you to Andre Martin, who just escaped after he hogtied him up in his basement. Yeah, I love that rug pull. That was one of those, oh, shit, like, where does this go next? And we follow that up with the phone call where Director Jameson calls Scott and is like, are you off your rocker? You better come on in. Like, we're out to get you. Shaw told me all this craziness. They find Scott's gun next to the two dead bodies of his friends. They moved money out of his bank account to make it look like he was in bed with them to arrange the kidnapping. He was the mole. This thing just gets deeper. It's like Inception, man. There's just layers on layers. It just goes deeper and deeper. There were points where I was like, how the hell does Scott work himself out of this hole? Like, he's really being framed. You know Lawler wants to trust him, but the evidence is just accumulating against him. Yeah, like, you, you could have just had Scott, for the rest of the book, trying to figure out on his own, like, where the president was. But then you add in this other complete new twist that makes it even more engaging of, oh, wait, now, now, now Scott's on the run, too. And he has to try to find the president, you know, and so he can't use all of his, you know, and he has a, and he has two types of two groups of assassins, you know, coming for him. It's just like layers upon layers that really add to the depth of the plot that, that I really enjoyed. Yeah. And all that, you know, culminates with him having to go to Switzerland. He put yep. together the chocolate. I don't know if that seemed a little forced to you, but at the Mormon house where they took the president on the escape route, he was kind of playing detective and, oh, they left the piece of chocolate and it's the Lieber chocolate. Let me email Nestle and see, you know, if they make that kind of chocolate in the States and nope, it's only in Switzerland. So he starts looking there. 
the story picks up here, but I don't know exactly if I buy the bridge of how we got there. And then, so when he gets there, Hans Browner is his alias. Pretty good. And he's got the documents. Oh, I like this. I I hope, I hope this comes up again. I do not remember it. But one of his buddies that he did some missions with, I forget what service he was in. I think it was in Germany. He wanted to thank Scott for some ops that they worked on together. And so this buddy says, hey, come with me. I want to I want to want you to meet somebody. I got a little gift for you. And they meet Tinkerbell and Tinkerbell is the forger who gives them these passports and is like, tuck this away for good measure. It's your insurance policy if you ever need it. And that's Hans Browner. Scott's, uh, you know, alter ego that he's able to escape with. I hope we get little tidbits like that. You know how American Assassin goes back and fleshes out Mitch's backstory? Yeah, yeah. I don't recall. Do we get a book of Scott on the ski team meeting his contacts, going into the SEALs, on missions, you know, building up this insurance policy, all these little things we got hints of. We don't ever get a book on that, do we? No, I don't, I don't think we do. Oh, no, but a, a prequel okay, book would okay. be would be really cool. Yeah. That'd be really cool. Gary Lawler, you know? There's there's some, I mean, we'll, we'll, I'm going to get to it. We'll get to it in the end, but th- there's some things that you kind of have to, uh, I don't know if suspending disbelief is the right term, but the the way Scott like gets to where he gets, it's like, you know, I, I would have, I believed more when Andre tells him that this guy went, you know, the Senator came back from Switzerland. Like you should like follow up. Why is he true. making trips to Switzerland? You know, like that, that's like a better, true, more true, true. than this like small piece of chocolate that he finds in, in this house and emails and sends an email to Nestle and gets it, gets a response back, you know? <laughs> and he randomly asked one of his secret service partners, just like, they're chatting, they're talking about the kidnapping, like trying to piece it together. He goes, oh, by the way, you like chocolate, right? And she goes on like a five-minute monologue about, oh, I like chocolate, but you know, you get different types of chocolate in Switzerland. I brought them home. And she's like, this one wouldn't be made in this country and sold in this country. They changed the name of it or they'd market it under a different brand. I'm like, when did this become the chocolate story? <laughs> yeah, I think they would be more pressed about the president than than about chocolate, but you know. It it's it is what it is. It ends up playing an important role, but I just yeah okay. And same with the wine, a Vent du Castance. Yeah, no the the details with that wine and like the backstory with that wine. Like I I like those little little, little tidbits that are thrown in and the history behind that. You know that even comes into play with like how one of the senators right fair what is it, senator um ferris no not i'm the wrong wrong senator uh but i think it was rolander right one of the senators contacts minor right with with these aliases of people who used to drink this wine right that that was that was cool but once we get to switzerland all this action and the description of going up to the mountains and you know the fighting at the the Jungfrau line, yes, and then you know yes. the fighting down in Interlaken and on this bridge, and when when Scott goes in the water, yes. and then the final like climb up onto like this the the top of this mountain where there's a, there's a hidden you know bunker underneath the church, like that was really cool. Yeah, uh, I'll I'll tell you, I got I got big Dan Brown vibes when they find like the um, you know the, he the. He, 
the baptismal yes, the font, font and like the stone and like yes. looks at the uh, thing, you know, oh, you push that one. That one's out of place. So we push that one and it opens it up. <laughs> you know, it, it it is what it is, but it, 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 was, it was still cool, you know. It was cool. It was exciting. You're right. I don't know if it's suspend disbelief, but you're you're just so in the story. You could care less about those things being utterly you ridiculous. Like, yeah. Out of all the things I would rate this book so high on, believability is probably one of the lower categories, and I don't even care. Like, I do not care. No, I don't because even care. Seconds before that, Scott is dangling with the rifle, practically choking him. Claudia's pulling him up, a guard's shooting at her, and she tosses an ice pick at him. No, or like a pickaxe at him. I'm like, this is so badass. Like, I'll buy anything at that point, like whatever they do next. One thing I'm not sure I buy, there's a lot of stormtrooper uh, syndrome going on here. They shoot like stormtroopers, every bad guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, he does get They're shot Spraying once, bullets, right? not hitting anyone. Yeah, he he does get shot once. They're missing though. How many times are they getting shot at and just conveniently? Oh, I heard it whiz by. Oh, I heard it hit the concrete. It's like in the moment, I don't care at all. But looking back, I'm like, and how did they not get shot? If the lions are supposed to be some of the world's best assassins? Yeah, when you when you wrote down stormtrooper syndrome, I, I had no idea what you meant. But now that you tell me this, I, it makes total sense. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, there's. There's so many descriptions of like ice, you know, ice chips coming off, like w- when he's in like that ice cave, right? Or, uh, and then like rock, rock splintering when, when he's in interlocking and going across the bridge. It's, you know, I, I don't care. The action's awesome. But, but let's just go over this, right? Scott survives an avalanche. He then survives a run in at Union Station, survives getting shot at. Yep. In DC, then he gets he survives getting shot getting shot at in an ice palace. Then he survives dr- almost drowning. Then he survives almost choking yep. out while hanging off a cliffside. He is a fucking Iron Man, man. I mean, that's what I'm talking about with stormtrooper syndrome. This man is is uh, the million dollar man. That happened at the end too. On their way to the president, there's like four or five times they're like, oh, stop. Someone's in our way pointing a gun at us. Boom, boom, boom. Got him. Let's keep moving. Oh, we're going to get him. Oh, wait. There's Miner. Miner's here now. Boom, boom, boom. Got to fight Miner. And then, oh, we got the president. Let's go. Wait. There's someone in the hallway who is tracking us from behind. Boom, boom, boom. Got him. Down. Let's go. I just felt like the – I mean, we're going to get to the ending soon. It was so much fun. It was such a delight. But I'm like – Wait, really? It, you know, like a video game, especially those like really early arcade games, your character's running along and it's like, boom, jump off the mushroom. You know, uh, oh, boom, jump over this guy. And then you're just still running. And it's like, boom, hit that. All right, we'll keep going. Oh, knock that one out. Boom, keep going. And just like you're waiting for the next big bad guy to just come up as you're like moving forward, bouncing along in this video game. I, I just kind of felt the ending was like that. Yeah, I mean, I guess that that's what happens when you have two different teams of assassins trying to get you, as well as, you know, a bunch of law enforcement's trying to get you as well. So, yeah, no, you're right. But I, honestly, I didn't care. I, I, I enjoyed it. It didn't care. I, I thought right. it was propulsive. Um, but yeah, when when you look back on it, it's kind of like, all right, you know, 
he did kind of survive a lot. <laughs> one, yeah, maybe one too many oh shit moments, you know? Yeah, like that last one where like they come out that he he has this, you know, crazy battle with 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 Minor. Um and then, you know, they think they're safe, they come out and then boom, the one the final like American assassin found the them and yeah, the groundsman. He's like, "You're dead." <laughs> you know, obviously does the exposition talk like before he just shoots him, you know, and then and then of course he gets shot by none other than Skip Trawick, but yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I get that you wanted the team that Lawler sent to be the ones to save them, but you also wanted Scott to be the one to beat the pulp out of Miner. So it's like, even after Scott was able to get Miner, he needed that cathartic release just pounding on the dude. You still needed on their escape escape route a way for Lawler's, you know, the team that Lawler sent in to be there to save him. So right. I get you needed one more bad guy, but it just uh, it just seemed like, you know, another cog in the wheel. Yeah. All right. We're talking about details. Claudia's grandfather. That man is a beast. How many times did Claudia reference something her grandfather taught her knowledge he gave her about being in the Army Corps of Engineers, building the bunkers, the knife? At one point, she had to use a knife a couple of times, and it was her grandfather's knife. And Scott's like, the more I think about it, the more I get to know you, the more I feel like I would have loved your grandfather. I feel like that would be another good spinoff story, a young Claudia learning from her grandfather. No, yeah. And the the detail that she's able to remember, you know, she paid attention to his lessons, and that, that pays oh, off big time. Did. And I... Yeah. I liked and I, I looked up like some of these things, you know, Brad intertwines like Swiss politics or, or you know, Swiss uh, history, you know, the fact that everyone has issued a, a rifle, but, you know, only certain people have ammunition, you know, like Claudia would have ammunition, but normal citizens don't. That's interesting. You're right. I, I've been to Switzerland a lot of times, but I've never seen a military base. Where do you think they are? No, well, they're hidden in the mountains. You know, like that that kind of stuff makes sense. Yep. And that was really cool and added another another layer of intricacy and detail to the story. Yeah, definitely. Like you said, geography, history, and let's be real. I think that's Brad's version of Vince's political scenes. You know, right. where Vince was the master of the political intrigue on the hill, Brad is the master of geography and international politics. And man, it's just so clear here. It, it's like so clear that that's his strength. And it really carries throughout the series, especially his latest books, taking real political, geopolitical scenarios and playing them out. Like that's his bread and butter. Yeah, you can tell it's something that he's passionate about, and he, he cares right. cares a lot about it. All right, so Mike, we is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of the, you know, Scott's mission and, and getting the president? I think we covered a lot. I'm sure you know there's a whole there's just too many little things. So there's a I don't lot. I want to just go through there's a laundry lot. list of amazing, yeah, amazing little details and little scenes. There's so many of them, but I think we did what we can to cover cover the big ones. 
All right. We got to thank our patrons, including our special operator, Sherry F., our special agents, Daryl, Kevin, George, Matt, Dawn, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, Jeff, and Mark. Please subscribe, rate, and review using your favorite podcasting platform. You can find us at thrillerpod.com or using Twitter or Instagram at mitrappod. And as always, didn't your mother tell you not to point... And just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Brad Thor, Scott Harvath, or Simon & Schuster. The music soundtrack is Honor Bound by Brian Teo.